to the Unbaptist Podcast, a podcast committed to the centrality of the gospel and to encouraging believers to be captivated all over again by the beauty and glory of Christ. My name is Josh Johnson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Clay Maynard. Good evening, Clay. <laughs> What's up, Josh? I was sent, I was feeling a Michael Scott uh, impersonation coming, and it just it was it, so close. Yeah, I kind of petered out there at the end. Yeah. That's okay. How's your day been? It's good. I'm, I was on vacation last week, so, you know, been playing catch up with some of the stuff I forgot to do, but that's okay. It's keeps me busy, keeps me on my toes. Yeah. I know you've listened to that new Phil Wickham uh, song, Behold. Oh, so many times for <laughs> sure. In between all the other wonderful music I listened to by Phil Wickham. <laughs> If you can't tell, it's total sarcasm. You actually haven't heard it, though. Is that correct? No. The only reason I know anything about it is because my buddy Derek Barksdale uh, posted something about it on his Instagram stories, and then Phil like reposted it on his Instagram story. Oh, that's cool. So that's the only reason I know anything about it. Shout out, Derek. So I'm not your only friend with good taste in music, is what you're telling me. No. What I'm sadly reporting <laughs> is that I have multiple friends that just don't... They just don't know what's right for them. It's Look, Josh, I know you're picky with music, and I know you're not the biggest fan of Phil Wickham. It actually is a really good song. But it is, I'll tell you this, somebody told me recently that they didn't want to listen to it. They skipped it when they saw it because they said, I'll be happy to listen to that in December when it's Christmas. And I have to tell you, it, it is. it does have a Christmas vibe. But it is not. When you listen to the song, you're going to be surprised. It's not just a Christmas song. There are songs out there that you can listen to other times of the year. Sometimes we've pigeonholed songs as Christmas songs. And like even the song, Oh, Come Let Us Adore Him. Like, yeah, can but we, the, the album art is the nativity scene. I know. I'm saying, I, I get that. I'm saying, listen to the song. Like the song, King of Kings. There's a whole section in that about him coming to earth and being born of a virgin and, and all that kind of stuff. King of Kings fits so well at Christmas time, but it's not just a Christmas song. Right. And Phil's definitely going for the Christmas vibe. Mm. If you listen to the song, he's definitely going for the Christmas vibe. Mm. And the bridge includes lyrics from Oh Come Let Us Adore Him. But it's not just a Christmas song. We got a problem. Why? There are three authors, three writers of this song. Who cares? Dallas Jenkins, Phil Wickham, and the one and only Stephen Furtick. Okay. Unbelievable. I can't believe you would support something like this on our <laughs> podcast. You sound like the uh, guys who go through the translation committees and point out all the worst things about men on the translation committees of Bible, of Bible translations. I am unfamiliar <laughs> with that. <laughs> yeah, but it's actually a really good song. And I, I don't know, Josh, do you listen to Christmas music throughout the year or are you, no, or are you bullish on it? It's uh, Well, I wouldn't say I'm bullish on it. I would say... Uh, let's see, tomorrow, September 1st. So probably by like October 1st, I'll have a day where I listen to like a playlist of Christmas music and I back off and take it easy for the rest of the month. And then November 1st, it's like, eh, I can pretty much listen to it whenever I want. The real, okay. the real timeline for me is when, and this is so funny because of how much I'm a snob about coffee, but the real timeline for me is when Starbucks drops their <laughs> holiday cups when the holiday cups come out, it's, it's like, okay, it's, it's go time. It's music time. It's Christmas music time. That's pretty funny. So you're not very bullish on it. I have to say, I've I've changed a little bit on this. I used to listen to Christmas music all year round. Um, and 
but I, and there are two different kinds of people that I've kind of moved a little bit on this where I do want it to be so at least fall. I want the weather to be changing. I want it to feel like it's getting Christmassy. And some people will tell you when you say that, like, oh, you, you're bah humbug, you're the Grinch, you don't like Christmas, whatever. Uh, it's actually, I know some people are like that. They don't want to hear Christmas music because they don't like it as much. And they're like, I only want to hear it during December. I actually right. think there's a certain respect for Christmas music where you can say, you know, it dilutes it if you're, it kind of takes away some from some of the magic of the season if you're singing it all year round. And I'm kind of starting to lean into that camp where it's not that I dislike the music. I actually, when it comes on, really like it, but I don't want to listen to it all the time throughout the year because then it it just takes away that special charm that the music has. Or is it too dangerous to listen to all year round? Because when Christmas music comes on, there are no music standards anymore for most people. (laughs) And so if they start listening to some of these people, they'll look them up throughout the year and listen to their regular music. That's so funny. They got a real problem with Buble until he's... yeah, until it's Christmas until time. there's mistletoe hanging and now I want to hear them. I worked with somebody at Chick-fil-A, literally, <laughs> any day of the year. You could be like, how many days till Christmas? And she would know. Wow. That's dedication. She was all about Christmas. Oh, That's yeah. That's dedication. That's dedication. I think J.C. Groves listened to it. All year. Like, all year. All year yeah. round. Or if, if not, he's like already starting as of today <laughs> or something. I don't doubt it, man. But, well, what are we talking about today, Josh? I'm super excited about this. Yeah, we're we're going to start a new series, mini-series, whatever you want to call it, talking about gospel-centered uh, life, gospel-centered living, like what it means to live with the gospel as the primary focus of what we do. Yeah, man, I'm super excited about this. There's a lot of places you, we could go with this, but to start off with today, we just wanted to talk about the gospel-centered or the gospel-shaped life, and that's really broad in general, so I, I hope as we go through this episode, you're not expecting us to really drill down super deep into a lot of these categories. Cause that's, this is really is the, the 50,000 foot view, mm-hmm. but that is, that can still be useful because I think it helps us sort of clarify as we move forward through this series, we're going to get more practical. You know, we're going to talk about gospel centered church and, and gospel shaped parenting and gospel shaped friendships and marriages and, and evangelism and ministry we're going to talk about all those things as we progress through this series. And this episode will will be a good way of serving as sort of the bedrock yeah. for what we mean uh, by by uh, by the things that we say. And this will be peppered in there with uh, um, like our theology series we were doing. We'll be we'll be getting back to that eventually. But we just want to kind of keep it keep it spicy, keep it mixed up. Yeah, give it a little variety. We can pop into yeah. the doctrinal series here and there when we need a break from this, and we can come back to this when we need a break from the doctrinal series. So we'll, we'll run them concurrently. Exactly. So that'll get like, I agree with you. I'm, I'm excited to keep it uh, fresh. Mm-hmm. Same. If that makes sense. So, so we're going to... Go ahead. You, I was going to say, we're going to answer three questions, right? Three questions. Question one, what is the gospel? Question two, what does the gospel shape... How does the gospel shape a life? I'm sorry. Uh, question three, what does a gospel-shaped life look like? So again, what is the gospel? How does the gospel shape a life? And what does a gospel-shaped life look like? So Boom. I'm excited to do this. You Let's ready? do it. Yep. What is the gospel? We should go to the, the Greek word first. It comes from the Greek word euangelion, which means good tidings or good news. Yes. So that's the foundational starting point when we talk about the gospel, is that the gospel is good news. So it is news. That's where we need to start. It is news, and it is good news. 
But what is that news? We need to answer that question. Yeah. I think it's important. What you said is important because it's not advice. Correct. Thank you, Tim Keller. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, the difference between uh, Christianity and every other religion out there is they want to tell you how to get better and how to find your way to God. And Christianity um, is the person, the, the God man who comes down and says, I've come to find you. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, uh, Christianity is about our response to, to Christ, not about uh, some system of religion to get us to God. Every other religion has that. What makes Christianity unique when it's when it's preached and taught properly? And I don't think most of the world knows this at all. I think this is really what we should be broadcasting is that the thing that makes us different is that we, we're bringing not advice, but news. Mm -hmm. News of what's already been accomplished and what our response to that should be. Yep. So what is that news? Well, I would say we should read what the Bible says. Sounds good. Okay. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through seven, eight, I'm sorry, eight. Here's what it says. And bear with me. This is a little bit more of a lengthy passage. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Which, Clay, I think we need to come back at the end of this and talk about those first two verses, because I think they are, they're, that's big stuff right there. Yes. Uh, verse three, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the 12. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. So here's the gospel, verse three, four, it says, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that one, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, two, that he was buried, three, that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. That is the good news. That is the gospel. Yeah. And, and the, the gospel story, as it were, is one of redemption. You know, Jesus's death, the, the work of Christ is the pinnacle it's the it's the exclamation point it's the the in storytelling they call it the climax it's the it's the the peak of the story um but the 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 story of scripture you know that that you've i hope everybody who's listening to this podcast has heard that god created things good mm -hmm. that in creation in the beginning god was glorified and things were good and god said to everything about everything he'd made that it's that it was very good and then there was the fall that we we ruined that goodness with our sin that we made choices uh, to rebel against God. But that as Josh just read, that God made himself the sacrifice in the person of Christ. God gave, of it, gave his own life. And that because of that, we have redemption mm -hmm. through his blood. That is what the gospel is. And it's tempting when you hear that to, you know, we're talking about it being good news. There's a temptation, I think, for a lot of even Christians to think that that's something we believe the day that we're converted and that that's what it's for. Mm -hmm. And that's just about it. It's very easy to not actually see all of the ways that the truth of that news, when you believe it, when you repent and believe, it's really easy not to see how the truth of that news impacts a life. Yeah. 
which is what we're talking about. But we wanted to start with with the this the basic truth of what the gospel is, and that is that it's news. And there, and I think as we talk about how it affects our lives, if I could extract for just a moment a few key points of the gospel, a, a just a couple of things that to me really make that impact. Um, and the first thing is the idea that because of what Christ did, our burdens are lifted. There is rest. When you look at the way the gospel affects your life, I, I'm just, I was thinking about it today. What is it about the gospel that really has to bear fruit in my life? And one is understanding that the gospel should bring rest. That our religion should never be about um, putting burdens on people. That's something that other religions do well at. Advice puts burdens on you. Mm -hmm. The gospel removes them. So the gospel should bring rest. Um, I, the second word that just came to my mind was grace. If we believe the gospel, then understanding God's grace towards us, that we, this idea that we get things we don't deserve, every single one of us, if we believe the gospel, have gotten something that we did not deserve. That alone, when that permeates who we are and what we're about, it changes so much about our life. Um, and obviously we'll get into that, but I, I just think these are foundational things. The idea of acceptance, mm -hmm. that, that, that we get mercy instead of judgment, that when we come into God's presence because of the work of Christ, that we're not picked apart and cast aside or excluded because of what we've done or because of our shortcomings, because of our sin, because of our, of our failings. And I think lastly is worship is something that flows from the gospel. And that is that this idea that, that the, because of who Jesus came and showed himself to be and the sacrifice that he made for us, there's something of ultimate worth and beauty that's outside of ourselves. And it's so much bigger than even anything, any other created thing that in the person of Christ, we have something of ultimate beauty to love and to worship and to live for. Mm -hmm. And so to me, when you believe the gospel, those are just some of those outworkings. Those are some of those connected ideas that those ideas bear fruit in just all kinds of ways when yeah. we believe it the, the way that we should. So the second question, Josh, uh, how does, how does the gospel shape a life? I, I want to just briefly say here that the, I think it is, a, if you've, yeah, you could have you could have spent a lot of your Christian life in church, and when you hear about the gospel shaping your life, it's really hard to picture what that means. Mm -hmm. I have to say that I spent most I've spent most of my Christian life, and I couldn't have told you what what it means that the gospel shapes my life. But our podcast has really, truthfully, we we had a mission statement when we started out, but we've actually narrowed that mission statement over time. You you listen to the our intros now. What does it say? We're committed to the centrality of the gospel. And to people being captivated all over again by the beauty and glory of Christ. We, I mean, we have, our podcast has coalesced around this gospel centrality idea. Yeah. And um, so, so what does it mean for, how does, how does the gospel shape my life? And like, what other alternative is there? And for Christians, wouldn't you say, Josh, that the alternative often is that we're shaped by religion? We're shaped by the law? Uh, yes, yes. The gospel is the answer, is that good news to the law. But haven't you, haven't you heard, and I think even, I've, and I've even heard this very articulately said, and I've heard it very persuasively said, that the gospel's what got you saved, that's what God gave you God's grace. 
but your law, but your life after salvation is to be shaped by God's law. I guess like, I've, I've never like, actually heard someone say that. Like, like directly. the law is how you know what God wants you to do, and I and I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm not disagreeing with that. There's the the moral law of God is 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 a wonderful thing, but it's not the way the New Testament motivates Christian behavior. Mm-hmm. It's not the way it describes how sanctification occurs. Yes, the law gives us that information about morality and it gives us that information about what it gives us a picture of what god's holiness is like it's a shadow of what god's holiness is actually like yeah it it tells us so much about god's character and what he wants so certainly to to believe the gospel and to want to follow christ means we care very much about what god's law says but there's the temptation there is to is to is to allow your life to be shaped by it and i don't think that that's i I don't believe that's consistent with the new testament and there's several passages i think if we could if we could take a few minutes just to talk about those that very forthrightly describe the gospel shaping it and so if you if you're the question is how does the gospel shape a life um i think first of titus 2 where he tells us verse 11 the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. I think that's a little counterintuitive. You, you wouldn't think that. Oh, as a matter of fact, Paul in Romans talks several times about how if if uh, if you just some people who's list, who are listening to the way he preaches God's grace might conclude, oh, let's just continue sinning then, right? Because God's going to God's already forgiven me. It's no big deal. Paul actually has to push back on that because he knows the way he's preaching God's grace might lead some to conclude that. And I'm sure he was probably hearing that from some like, oh, he's just he's just preaching that sin doesn't matter because of God's grace. But here, not only is not only is the scripture saying the opposite or not saying that here, it's actually saying the opposite. It's saying that God's grace. Actually, is what teaches us to deny ungodliness. There's something unique about God's grace that even the law is not capable alone of doing what God's grace can do. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, it makes sense because if, if um, let, let me put it this way, Josh, if I went to a, if my wife and I said, hey, you know what? We're struggling in our marriage. Let's go to get counseling. Let's go to see a pastor. Let's go see a licensed counselor. We want to, we want to work on our marriage. And the marriage counselor said, uh, you know, you need to uh, take her, you need to go on dates. And you need to uh, write her notes and you need to communicate better and you need to do these things. And I went home and I like stamped them up on my fridge. And, you know, once a week I was like, hey, get in the car. We're going on a date. And it was very sterile and I wasn't talking to her. And I was like, hey, I'm communicating more. I'm writing you notes. I'm doing all these things. But there was no love behind it. It wouldn't matter. Because I would be doing those things out of just simple obedience to what I perceive as a command. Mm hmm. But is that really improving my relationship if it's not motivated the right way? And I would say no. If what he's saying here is true, and of course it is, he's saying that God's grace actually teaches us something that the law can't teach us. Because if God, Jesus died for my sin and he rescued me and we love him because he first loved us, then I look at sin as the thing that crucified Jesus. I look at sin as the thing that hurts God that grieves the spirit of God. And now I, sin actually is losing that luster for me. 
and I will fight that battle till the day I die. Mm. But being sanctified now actually is me looking at God's grace and realizing sin is so much less attractive to me, knowing how how dirty it is in the in the in light of God's holiness and knowing it's what sent Jesus to the cross and it's what's dest- it was destroying my life. It's what God had to d- send his only son to, to die to save me from. And to me, that's so much more powerful than just telling me not to do something. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. But, um, so what, what, we, what you see a lot of is, is a lot of like law preaching. Like if you want to live a better Christian life, do this. And you, if you want to be a better Christian, Mm-hmm. follow these steps or if you want to you know have the best life you can as a follower of jesus it takes x y and z um why is that faulty though but what makes the what that's all law-based do and accomplish and yeah there's a task <laughs> like how 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 would you say the gospel answers that I would say that because you can't, I would say that the, you can't look at the Christian life and divorce effort and action. No. Which, and and I'm, I'm sort of playing devil's advocate. Sure. And I know you're not saying that it, all advice is bad because we're not, we're not saying that. No, we're not saying all, all effort is bad. There's a common thought. I won't say common, but I've heard people who say, well, if you live gospel centered and that's kind of how you, if your ministry is focused on gospel centered, there is no emphasis on holy Christian living. There's no emphasis on um, uh, doing things necessarily because there is, it's all just like this sit back, relax, excuse me, and enjoy the ride yeah, it's type already, thing. It's all done in the personal yes. order of Christ, therefore, whatever. Uh, yeah. And I don't, I don't agree with that because I think I actually believe that the gospel gives a greater power for the dues mm-hmm. and a purer motivation for the dues. It's not that you're opposed to the do's or I'm opposed to the do's. It's not that the gospel-centered people are opposed to doing. We're opposed to uh, ill-motivated doing. It, it, the do's have to be born of the gospel and not of the law. And so I believe that's what Titus 2 is teaching. I see it in Ephesians 5 as well. What is he? He's, he, he's preaching to husbands and he's telling them, love your wives. Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, he doesn't say love your wife because that's what God created you to do. So buckle up and do it, right? Um, and then he goes on later in Ephesians 5 and talks about that we're we're members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. This is why, this for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Um, he says that they are one flesh. And he says, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. So he he's motivating, again, a good marriage with the picture of the greatest marriage where, yes, Jesus has a faltering bride, a weak bride, and yet he cares for his for the weakness of his spouse and he loves through it. And he, so the, the motivation for being a good husband or a good wife is again, the gospel. It's the picture of what Jesus has done for us. I just believe that the, the gospel actually gives you, gives you power to do it. The law gives you these what to do, but the gospel actually gives you power to do it. And I actually believe the gospel can take you further than the law. Uh, a good example of this is uh, Corinthians when Paul is trying to encourage them to give and he wants them to give generously. Mm-hmm. And what does he do? Does he say, well, you should give. Um, I'm the apostle. And, and and by the way, Christians have all, or people followers of God have always given. Look at the Old Testament. They gave. You ever read about the tithe? Are you, are you less than them because you're a New Testament Christian under the age of grace? He could have said that. And by the way, I don't think that's a terrible case to say, 
hey, didn't the Old Testament people tithe? Are you are you less than them? Are you are you supposed to be less generous than God wanted his people to be for all of history? But that's not what he does. What he says is, look at Jesus who was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty you might be rich. He points you to the to, to something so much more powerful than a tithe, right? He points you to the shed blood of Christ and says, look what Jesus did for you. Well, if that's true, then uh, as the, as the uh, song says, demands my life, my soul, my all. I think that's more powerful than the law could ever be, mm-hmm. is, is looking to Jesus and saying, oh, well, I owe Jesus everything. Sorry, there's something else I want to say. It's all good. And I just think, Josh, that's three. That's Titus 2, that's Ephesians 5, that's 1 Corinthians 8. These are several examples where the motivation for the dues, for holiness, for sanctification is based in the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's how the gospel, the question is being, how does the gospel shape a life? It's, It's looking and seeing Jesus dying for you, loving you when you didn't deserve it, and that transforming your your what your life is about, what your mission is, what your goals are, and bring into alignment with what God's plan is for you. And so you do strive to please him. You do put forth that effort. You do want to live holy, but it's not it's not born out of uh out of guilt and shame. It's not born out of this is the chore list. It's born out of I love you too to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um Carrie Schmidt likes to say if we can't get if I if we can't motivate it and we can't get there loving Jesus, I don't want to do it some other way. Mm. And I think that's gospel-shaped preaching. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's got to be uh, underlined, highlighted, that, you know, all of that. When it comes to living a gospel-centered life, it's not about not doing things. It's about doing them because of what has been done. Yes. It, it's about going back to that. It's about realizing that you are going to take action in the Christian life. There is responsibility to be had. Philippians 2 indicates that, 2.12. Yeah. But that responsibility is always connected to something greater. And it's what's been done for you. And it's not that your responsibility is not an attempt. And I think this is where people freak out a little bit with gospel-centered thinking. is because we've come so accustomed to living like these meritorious lives, like do this and get that, do this and get that. That's not what the gospel is about. The gospel is about, I've been giving every, given everything in Christ. So the, I have to respond like you were just saying, and, and I love you too. Thank yeah. you so much, Jesus type of living. Yeah. Well, but I think, I think believe if, if we actually believe that and live that, you know, JC, our buddy, JC Grove says, loves to use that line. We live from acceptance, not for acceptance. Mm -hmm. It's not, grace is not opposed to effort. I think it's Jared Wilson that says this. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And the thing that I think getting, getting into gospel centered uh, approach to sanctification robs you of, if I can put it that way, is being able to, to nitpick other people. Hmm. So I and I and I don't want to besmirch anybody who who dis, who, who doesn't like the gospel centered articulation or you know the dark gospel centered approach. I don't want to I don't want to presume something upon them that they just like to be judgmental or anything like that. But what I'm what I am saying is I do think you're talking about the meritorious life just a second ago. When I go to work, 
is very clear whether or not I'm being a good, whether I'm a good employee. They're metrics, and they judge they judge the the effectiveness, the 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 productivity of employees based on those those metrics, those merits. And it's very easy to bring that into our Christian life, where we kind of want to be able to judge each other. We kind of want to be able to compare ourselves among ourselves. And Paul says that's not wise. And th- th- that was a that was a problem in the Corinthian church. Mm-hmm. They were living that way. I think living by the law can let you do that. And I think living, uh, it, living, living your life in light of the gospel kind of takes that away from you because you don't want to. You don't even have a desire to do that. I want to serve Jesus because I love Him. And the the degree to which I fall short of what I should do and where I sin and where I'm not seeing sanctification. That's a love problem that needs where my heart needs to be more captivated by the gospel. I need to be more captivated by Christ's beauty because the, then the beauty of the, the, the luster and the pleasure of sin will fade from view the more that I'm looking to Jesus. That doesn't really provide me an opportunity to feel superior to anyone. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really give me any, even if I'm doing a good job of it, it's really, it's still all Christ. I'm just, I'm looking to him. And so that success is, is his success. It's not mine. And so it it takes away that judge it, any ability to to judge other people or to look down on people. And so I don't think I'm not saying everybody who <laughs> want everybody consciously wants to to judge people, but I do believe we're so used to it. Yeah. The meritocracy <laughs> that we want to bring that into our Christian life. And to be fair, um there has been people there have been people, excuse me, that uh abuse the idea of of being gospel centered in that, well, everything's done in Christ. We talked about this in a previous episode. I understand all of that. Have some of our gospel coffee, but that's not, (laughs) well, and it like they abuse it to this point of living some sort of like licentious lifestyle. Yep. Like, well, it's all done in Christ. So I'm fine. Well, I don't think anyone who claims to be focused on the gospel, I don't, you're, you're not going to ask Tim Keller, do you think that's okay? Because he's known to be very gospel-centered and shaped by the gospel. Do you think that's okay that they're doing that? He's not going to say, oh, yeah, that's fine. That's covering oh, yeah. the gospel. Yeah, shh, sh- sh- don't worry about that. You know, it's, it's I don't Jesus know anybody did, did all the work. <laughs> I don't know anybody who's focused on the gospel who's not also saying, you need to live a sanctified life. Yeah, and if they are, that's a perversion too. It's it's really coming back to what is the source? Where is that sanctified life coming from? Yeah, and if I could, if I could to just to dovetail what into what you just said, if there are people saying that they've created a law out of the gospel too, because if, if what you're preaching of, of the Christian life ends up being is in, you must be tolerant, inclusive, mm-hmm. you must be whatever. And if you offend anybody ever, then you're, you're not being loving enough, whatever you've just embraced a new law. Yeah. And that law is not based in scripture. It's not, it's not, uh, it, you know, you're opposing things scripture clearly teaches and you've created another little legalistic system that you can use to judge other people. And, oh, I'm less judge, you know, uh, I'm not nearly as judgmental as that person over there. Well, mm-hmm. you're still being a self-righteous person when you say that. And so you've just found another, there are places like that where they've, they're just the moral relativists of the church. Yeah, They don't like the, the, uh, the sanctification that scripture teaches. So they've just run to, to an extreme and they've tried, some of them do try to paint that as we're just loving people like Jesus did. No, you're not. That's not loving. It's not loving people like Jesus did to say, you're okay staying where you are. Mm-hmm. Jesus didn't do that with sinners. He loved them where they were, but you, you don't have to choose between the two. You can believe that God, A, loves you where you are, and yet B, has no intention of leaving you there, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think if there's any question as to what the New Testament 
authors, especially Paul, believed about the gospel's role in a Christian's life, I think the first couple of verses of 1 Corinthians 15 really just uh, obliterate any idea that the gospel is just where you get started. Because he even says, and I, I love this uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, he makes some distinctions, Clay, and I think they're important to to recognize as we even dive further into the gospel-centered life. He talks about, he says, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach unto you, which ye also have received. Um, so there you have uh, past tense, and it's indicative, so it means that the action has taken place in the past, obviously. He, he's saying, I preach this to you, and you received it. We're seeing their salvation, which is where we like to stop. Oh, good job, guys. You, you, you're saved now. Congratulations. You, you, uh, you jumped off the diving board of the gospel into the Christian life. But he doesn't leave it there, and I think this is important. He says, and wherein ye stand. This is a uh, perfect active. So this is, this is done. This is who you are in Christ. You, you now stand in the gospel. This is your new standing. That should be encouraging to know that that's I stand now in the finished work of Christ. This is who I am as a believer. And then he says, uh, by which also ye are saved. Now, some people don't really like, like this right here, but that's okay. Uh, you could transla translate this um, as you are being saved. Yeah. And all that means, it's a, um, let me make sure I say it right. It's present passive. So the action is being done to the subject. You are not saving yourself. You are being saved every day. We call that sanctification. Yes. You're being saved every day. And what is it by which you're being saved? The gospel. It's important. Like you see this text here and you can read right through that and totally miss it. Yeah. If, if we graduate from the gospel at the moment of salvation, we have gone too far already. Yeah, and he says there, by which ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you. Mm -hmm. In other words, you're, you're, you can actually, in, in, in not continuing in the gospel, you can fall so short of what God had had in store for you. And that sanctification, what you're describing is a part of, we use the word salvation often just to talk about just justification, but scripture often uses the word saved or salvation oh, yeah, to describe all of, yeah. all of the Christian life up until the redemption mm -hmm. of our bodies that Paul talks about, which is glorification. That's all part of this redemptive salvation process. Well, and look what Peter says. Uh, he, gives he describes all of this. Like, like mm -hmm. you said, he describes all of that as being covered by the Believe gospel. in the gospel. Yeah. And look what Peter says. He says, um, he gives this whole list, add to your faith, this, this, and this. And if you don't, what if, what's the case? You've forgotten that you were purged from your old sins. Yeah. You have forgotten you've been saved. You've forgotten you uh, have believed the gospel. You've forgotten the gospel, the, the one of the key tenets of the gospel. That's so important. Like, yeah. Yeah, don't and, go past that. Yeah, and this third question, I know we're going to have to leave this a little open-ended because it's it's such a big question. What is the, and really the whole series is designed to answer the third question, if you will. Yeah. Which is, uh, what does a gospel-shaped life look like? And, you know, it's, the what that means is the gospel impacts the everyday things of life. Mm -hmm. There is this feeling that 
that my spiritual life exists in church on Sunday and while I'm praying and reading my Bible or while I'm singing uh, in worship to God or something like that. But that it doesn't really get down to the, the muddy messiness of, of my everyday life. And just the opposite's true. Um, I'm reminded of, uh, I think about gospel-centered living the way C.S. Lewis once talked about Christianity. He said, I believe in Christianity the way that I believe the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything. Yeah. And I, I want that to be true of me about the gospel. I don't just want to know that the gospel is true because I, I see it, but also that by it, I would see everything else. That it would become that that what Jesus has accomplished for us, what he is continuing to do in us, what he's got planned for us, that that would be the lens that would help me see everything, that I would see every human as a human soul because of it, that I would see every um, task I have to do as a part of my life's calling, that I would see trials as assignments from God. And I believe that's what the gospel, that's the gift that the gospel gives us, that by the gospel, we can see everything in our life. You know, he, um, I'll, I'll mention this story. I actually heard this, you mentioned Tim Keller earlier. I heard him tell a really great story and I can actually tell you where (laughs) he actually preaches a message on the gospel centered life or gospel shaped life. I don't remember which one it was and I highly recommend it. So I think it's on YouTube. If you go listen to it, it's a great sermon, but any, he tells the story of a woman who, um, who had a really rough background and she, um, you know, she'd been addicted to drugs and she, she was near his, she lived near his church and she started coming in, but leaving right after the service. And he f- took him a while to finally catch up with her and stop her. And she was, she struggled and she said, I don't think, you know, I, I don't know if I belong here or something like that. But she, she came to believe the gospel and she was talking to Tim one day and she said, she's describing her past. And she says, you know, I was beautiful when I was young and I used that to always be in a relationship with a man. And I always wanted to be in a relationship with, you know, I was, that's how I found my worth was in men loving me. And it wasn't until she believed the gospel and she got with a good counselor and she they started walking her through what it means to be a Christian and to follow Christ. And she said it was in those moments, uh, she, would, she was reading Colossians 3 where it says, you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in, in God. God. Yeah. And, she, and, and it even uses the term later in the passage, when Christ, who is our life, and, and so she started saying, Christ is my life. And so she had to be reminded of that. And then in the future, when she would see a man that maybe she thought he was interesting, maybe she thought, you know, there might be an interest there. She had to immediately, she felt that pull, that old pull from her old self. And she would have to say internally to herself, you are not my life. Mm-hmm. Christ is my life. Yeah. And because of that, it actually, he points out, it actually freed her to actually be curious about the guy and to actually appreciate what was unique about him and his strengths and weaknesses. And she wasn't looking to it as an ultimate source. Mm -hmm. She wasn't looking to it for meaning in her life. And I just thought about that's such a great illustration of what a gospel centered life looks like. It means that I can go to work and do meaningful work without work being ultimate to me. Mm -hmm. It means that I can build friendships and, and minister to people in friendships. And I can even allow friendships to end if they're not healthy because they're not ultimate to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can I can come in here on a Sunday, Josh, and I can mess up the whole worship set. I can bomb a couple songs, 
I, there can be very little emotion in the room and I can walk out and I don't need to be so dejected and feel like a failure because I wasn't looking to that for, to, for ultimate fulfillment. Ministry success isn't, isn't, doesn't have to be the altar that I worship at. If the gospel is true, this is to me, this is how it affects us more than anything. It's we go into the world free from that burden mm. of looking to everything else to satisfy us because we have, because a we're accepted, we're loved. We've been shown grace. I can show grace to others and I can be free from that burden because I can look to everything around me and say, Christ is my life. Yep. So there it is. There it is. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Young Baptist Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, we'd love to hear from you. You can connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Young Baptist pod also be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and review wherever you consume the content be sure to check out our website the young for more resource recommendations and to join our ybp community